This meeting is being live streamed. This is Value After Hours. I'm Tobias Carlyle, joined as always by my co-host, Jake Taylor. Special guest today is Tim Travis of TT Value. How are you, Tim? Good to see you again. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Good to see you guys. Well, welcome back, Tim. <laughs> Good to see you too. I, I always think of Tim as being an expert in... Uh, sorry, I've got this... Strong start. The, the, the feedback <laughs> in my ears. Sorry about that, Tim. Tim's an <laughs> expert in... Uh, in Financials and value, particular value mostly, but financials in particular. So I like getting you on and having a chat. But those, it's a, it's a good. I think it's a good time to get you back on because we had some um, carnage in regional banking, and I just want to kind of get an update. Like, where do you have you followed that? Where do you where do you see all of that now? How do you, how do you think about financials right now? I think last time you were on, it was right as Silicon Valley Bank was. Exactly. Yeah, it was. No, absolutely. And yeah, I've been following it super closely. And and what I'd say is that I think it's a lot more calm now. And I think that really, if you look at the results, it speaks to how unique Silicon Valley and Signature were uh, with their duration mismatches and just the 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 strangeness of the deposit base. You know, these those companies were growing deposits at such rapid rates. It's not something you see uh, very often. And so, you know, they they basically projected that growth would continue and it wouldn't matter that they're, you know, locking in 20 year government bonds at 1.75% or, you know, issuing a 30 year mortgage to Mark Zuckerberg for whatever it is, one and a half percent or whatever, whatever ridiculous rate it was. Um, you know, most banks aren't like that. It turns out the liability side, like half of it was one day money. Yes. <laughs> it was like literally one day callable. <laughs> it really was a run on the bank. And that's what that's what honestly I found very frustrating from that period is that is that you know people were forecasting, well, what if Bank of America has a run on their bank with these, you know, mark to market losses on their held to maturity portfolio? And it's like that's there's a reason why, you know, there's specific actions to not have bank runs and you know, there still hasn't been a lot of clarity as to exactly why that occurred uh, with with Silicon Valley. Um, but yeah, it was it those was, VCs kind of stoking the flames. Yes, exactly. And I still wonder who owned the credit default swaps, or you know, who had short positions on that. I I think that that's you know curious. But but if you look at most banks, a lot of the regionals, you know, they're paying up for deposits, so net interest margin is contracting a bit. Uh, they're they're reducing their growth, uh, you know. So so it, uh, in some respects, they're they're streaking. They're focusing on efficiency a lot more. But a lot of them, you know, they have core deposit bases, and and so there is a certain amount that companies and individuals like to keep, you know, in a bank. I'm no exception. I'm sure you guys aren't exceptions either. And so you know, obviously, if you have surplus, you know, it makes sense to put it into. Uh, CDs or or treasuries or or bonds or whatever, and a lot of the a lot of the banks they have their own brokerage division, so they're not necessarily losing the deposits. They're just kind of transitioning from maybe non-interest bearing into interest bearing. But once again, you get back to kind of that core deposits, and it's really similar to numbers we saw pre-pandemic. Like non-interest bearing deposits had grown quite a bit after the the pandemic and the lockdowns uh, and all the stimulus money. And now they're still above, but they're kind of going to a more normal level again. What about that bank term deposit plan or whatever? What are they Alphabet calling that thing now? Soup B- it's was. not. It's not BTFD. It's BTP. <laughs> it's, it means the same thing, but missed opportunity there. Huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, so that that's helpful. It seems to be because, growing. Yeah. Well, they're that, they're able to you know deposit uh, you know securities like mortgages or treasuries. Uh, with with the Fed, so that they don't have to, you know, sell stuff in a rush or anything like that, and they get paid at par on it uh, for a year. And so, you know, if they have liquidity needs, it's it's nice that there's not like a mass exodus; they don't have to sell a lot, um, you know, right away. So that definitely stem stem the pressure quite a bit. I'm honestly kind of surprised that they didn't have to do more of an explicit guarantee on the deposits or raise the deposit um, limits. I, I think that that would have been, you know, effective at least to raise the limits. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's worked out okay. And, and, 
you know, in the absence of panic, I mean, really, it's look at what happened with Credit Suisse. I mean, it's not like Credit Suisse was thriving for the last several years, and there really wasn't a specific event that preceded it other than just the general pessimism and fear. And if you guys remember, right after that occurred, uh, Deutsche Bank, you know, all the Twitter and stuff and uh, all the rumors were about Deutsche Bank and talking about the trillions and swaps. And then it just it just petered away. We <laughs> you know, moved there, on to AI. Yeah, yeah. Basically, basically, that's what happened. All the money flowed to the AI and, and uh, you know, the, the new the new uh, girl on the block. And and that's where all the attention went. I had a look at NVIDIA today. It's, it's basically at an all time high. I think it's unbelievable running that thing. Although it's sort of it's 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 flattened out a little bit. It's only up at like twelve or thirteen percent over the last month. <laughs> it's not. Let me give a let me give wild. a shout out to the uh, to the crew. We got Riyadh, Brandon, Mississippi, Dubai, Chapel Hill, Santa Domingo, Pittsburgh. What's up? Nashville, Gulf of Mexico, Stirling, Scotland, Cromwell, New Zealand, North Miami, Toronto, Savon, Lina, Finland, Barry. Jupiter, Mendocino, California, Tallahassee, Asheville, Philly, Norberg, Surrey, British Columbia, an incredible spread here. Wanaka, New Zealand. <laughs> Someone wants to know where's the oil rig. I think he's I think he said the Gulf. Yeah, we need to know where the oil rig. How are you, JT? What's what's news? Life is good. I um was back in Michigan visiting family all last week. And uh it still amazes me that I was in my background here, I've got a picture I took yesterday afternoon. I'm sitting at a baseball game in, in Comerica Park watching Tigers play and uh, and then sleeping in my own bed later that night. Like, what a world we live in <laughs> where you can do that. Just it still boggles my mind. Yeah, that's cool. We took the kids out to the uh, – there's a tennis in, tennis exhibition. Got Taylor Fritz and a few of the – Gal Monfee, a few of the big fellas hitting – they are – we were – because it was it was like half empty stadium, so we were like right up close to the front. Those guys are units. Taylor Fritz is six five, Galmont Fee is six four, but like filled out six four. He's a unit. Yeah. They, wow. They flogged that ball at each other. It was good. Jeez. Try to inspire the kids a bit. Yeah. How's the market look to you, Tim? What do you what do you how do you feel at the moment? I mean, it's been a, a good year overall. It's been interesting. Uh, right before we got on the call, I was listening to uh, Z- Richard Zena's firm was having a, a webinar. So I caught part of it. And they were talking about the first half was the second worst half, worst first half uh, for value uh, with the exception of 2020. On a relative uh, that, basis. Yes, yes. And so then, you know, the third and fourth, he said, were, were in the uh, tech bubble. Uh, naturally. So did he say the first half or the first quarter? I, I don't, I think it was the first half. I was kind of getting ready and then listening, you know, on the side. So don't quote me specifically. I, th- I think you, I think you said first, that's probably what it was. I just, I thought it was a, I thought it was a garbage. Yeah. Like February to February to the end of May was terrible, but yeah. Yeah. January was great. And then really until kind of the banking crisis thing happened, um, it, it was good for, it was really good for value. And then it took a pretty big break. Everything went into AI and then the last month's been pretty good. But I mean, I mean, when you're making money, it's less of an issue than, you know, when you're, when you're losing money, but yeah, the relative difference. And as you mentioned with like NVIDIA, you know, the, the valuations are, are looking really stretched to me uh, on both the overall market and then also um, on the, on the tech side of things. And so it's funny, uh, JT mentioned uh, uh, Comerica, and then when you said, you know, we're looking at where people were watching us from, you mentioned an oil rig. And so, you know, the last couple of weeks I've bought bonds in Comerica um, and I've <laughs> bought bonds in Transocean. <laughs> so, so that's, that kind of tells you, I mean, <clears throat> you know, when uh, the banking crisis was kind of, you know, uh, uh, engulfing the market a little bit, we were able to buy you know, bonds on, on some of those regionals like Comerica, for instance, at, I believe 13 or 14% yield to maturities. Um, so that's quite good. Those, those spreads have gone down quite a bit now. And, uh, you know, Transocean, we had bought bonds, uh, in them quite, quite some time ago. And, and it was high teens, uh, yield to maturity, maybe even 20, I'm not sure. Uh, and, and so, but if you look at how things are progressing, 
I think 40 of the last 50 major oil discoveries have been offshore. And, uh, you know, they're the, they're one of the few ones that didn't go bankrupt, um, but they do still have to fix that balance sheet. Uh, but they've termed it out, you know, pretty well and they have cash flows and they're building up their, their backlog. And it's interesting because you can still get, you know, like an 11.3 to like 11.6% uh, yield to maturity on some of those bonds, even the ones that are, are kind of closer to expiry, I believe 2027. So I thought that was interesting and just. <laughs> do you, do you feel like in rig, there's enough uh, value there that the bonds are, the bonds are whole, if you get really nasty, the bonds get made whole there? I mean, I think it depends on the market environment. I, I wouldn't want to see that. I, I mean, what I've seen in the Benjamin Graham kind of, you know, net asset value or or book value liquidations, I think I think it can be challenging because the lawyers really eat into a lot of that and stuff like that. So I wouldn't want to necessarily bank on that. But the stock is at uh, multi-year highs. I believe the market cap, I think last I looked, was you know around like seven billion. And so they do have an at-the-money uh, equity issu- issuance program, and so I think it'd be very sensible to to you know raise equity. They they don't necessarily need to do it, but you know I think having some conservatism and understanding how cyclical oil can be, but it's kind of a bullish play on oil, really. Uh, I just I'm I'm optimistic on oil, and I do think you know your downside would be limited because of. Uh, the security that's in there. They do have, I mean, they're, they're not making, no one's ordering new rigs right now. Um, so supplies constrained. Well, let's talk about oil a little bit. The two things we, you know, we had uh, the, the Seawolf fellas on a few weeks ago. And I think the two things that we were talking about there, that the SPR continues to be drained almost immediately after that. There was another, I saw another update to that. that so that's a few weeks. So I don't know in the interim what it looks like, but it was definitely being drained until at least a couple of weeks ago. And I saw another stat this morning that China is now importing and it's close to back to where it was sort of pre-pandemic. It's spiking in that direction anyway. So that, that seems to be like there's plenty of demand. There's I, I'm, a, I'm terrible at predicting where commodity prices would go, would go but I'm, I'm interested to hear. Like, tell me why my big bullish bet on oil is a good one. Is basically what I'm saying to you, Tim. <laughs> yeah, and if it's I not, mean, just give uh, me some confirmation bias. <laughs> I tend to agree with you. I mean, I think the bear case, you know, hinged on uh, recession and and uh, China's recovery hasn't been as strong as it is, but it's been coming out that China's really kind of focused on stimulus and and doing more there and. The economy, I mean, a lot of people think that we might avoid, you know, now now people all of a sudden, you know, over the last two weeks think that we'll have a soft landing or whatever. So, I mean, I think that that speaks to uh, bullishness. I don't know if that's true or not, um, but I, I feel the same way. The SPR, I mean, it's, it's difficult to see them refilling that, let's say, prior to the election. You know, I mean, lower oil prices, less inflation is definitely more, more uh, attractive. And then you've got, you know, Russia has no incentive other than they need the money. But, but you know, they're they're not they're not going to be able to increase supply that much. Saudi Arabia is hell bent on on reducing supply. So, I like the bet, and I think the real negative is just if you're not that optimistic on the economy, that's kind of why you know I'm playing it like this. I think that you're going to have to find production offshore, like Guyana and and uh, and the Mediterranean. They're, they've had some important developments that that need you know rigs and stuff like that. So that's kind of one of the ways that I'm playing it is is through the bonds. What do you think? Okay, I don't it's, know. I mean, it's tough with you know is seventy dollars the right price? Is eighty, ninety, fifty? I don't know. I mean, from here these middle ranges are difficult to really say what. Which, which direction you go from here. I mean, when it was negative 37, I felt pretty good about that it was <laughs> likely to go the other direction. And I felt okay making a bet on that. Um, but it's a little tougher when you're sort of around the uh, more normal price level. I feel more comfortable at these more normal price levels because I think that when it spikes up, like that that punctures everything else. And that that that's when you get the recession. And when it's really low, it's something, something else weird is going on there. I, f- I feel most comfortable when it's just trading around 65, 70, 75, 80, whatever it is. I mean, saying, they make pretty good returns on equity, a lot of these companies uh, at you know $70 oil. And if they just kind of cruise along there for a long period of time, they're going to be 
reducing a lot of shares. They'll be cleaning up balance sheets. Yeah. They'll be uh, giving you a lot of dividends. I mean, there's that probably is your best case scenario is you just quote unquote muddle yeah. through $70 we're, oil. We're still at that point. We're still early enough in the cycle. I mean, but we're, we're close enough to negative $37 oil that they've still got a little bit of religion about looking <laughs> after the balance sheet and yeah, looking after cat stack and all those other things. But if you get if it goes crazy, if it gets really high, then we're, you know all bets are off. It goes everything goes nuts. Probably rolling out at that point. Absolutely. And I was reading about just kind of the inefficiency of wind. Uh, you know, it's 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 tough. I mean, those companies are really struggling to uh, deliver. Uh, you know what they say they're going to deliver from an efficiency level, and then also from a profitability level. And I I read in the I believe it was Wall Street Journal was that a lot of the the dollars in the stimulus package are actually they're they're like changing the laws or something in individual states to direct more of that money, which was supposed to go to the consumers, to the actual companies, to to make it viable. So it's tough. It's really tough to detach yourself from these. Uh, we were talking about traveling, uh, and uh, we we I traveled to Europe over the summer, and uh, yeah, I remember we were driving out to Tuscany. And, and I spent a lot of time there in my life and, uh, and, uh, there was, uh, you know, wind, uh, uh, you know, wind turbines there and it's just not a place you'd really think to see them. So it didn't didn't look great to be honest. (laughs) A couple of good data points from the, uh, the hive mind. Chris Beck says it went up by a thousand barrels last week, smallest measurable increase. Looks like the only increase after they resumed draining it in April. And Christian Calderon says reduction in US SBR since 2022 equivalent to the proven reserves of a multi-billion dollar company. That's a lot of oil to be drained out. Sure Six. is. Kind of uh, short-sighted, doesn't it? As a as a society. <laughs> That's what I think, too. But you, you start treading into political waters. I know. Yeah. It's, it's not even a political. Like both, it's both not, it's a, parties have done it, so it's it's not political. Yeah, I agree. I wouldn't it's do it. It's physics it's, and a, you know, isn't it there so you can fight wars? Isn't that the purpose of it? It seems like a dumb idea to me to be managing the oil price that way. But whatever. How about the market, Tim? Are you Tim Frozen? Still there? Um, well, he'll come back. Okay, I can hear you guys now. Yeah, into the matrix, mate. You were <laughs> uh, glitch. How do you feel about the the market generally? You're saying you feel it's a little bit overvalued. Yeah, it's just tough for me to. I don't know. I, I, I you guess just can't I'm, find opportunities. Like, what do you? How do you think about it? I mean, so I think you look at individual bonds. So, like, even like real estate companies. Uh, some of these real estate investment trusts, or or even operating companies. You know, you can find bonds at nine percent. Eight and a half percent, you know, kind of triple B, double B plus type credits. I think that that space is interesting. I think the I think the financials are interesting. You know, if you think of uh, the insurance comp- insurance market for like Fairfax, uh, for Berkshire, for AIG, uh, for for uh, uh, Arch Capital, uh, it's a it's still a hard market. It looks like that's going to continue for a little bit. And then if you think about it. Look where they're able to redeploy capital and premiums right now. You know, it's a it's a great environment for them. So yes, you know, some of them have duration issues, but they don't have a deposit base. Um, so they have some mark to market losses that ultimately will you know amortize and burn off or be reinvested. And you know, I, I think you're going to see returns on equity go up um, in that space. So I I think there's some opportunities there. I like I like energy. I like natural resources as well. Um, I love copper here, but I think the stocks, you know, aren't super, super cheap um, relative to current prices, but I, I would say I'm in that boat. Yeah. It's Southern Copper Co, but it ran away from me a little bit too much. So I rolled out of it. I think I agree uh, with you on the insurance companies right now that generally they're, it's probably favorable, especially those who were, uh, didn't chase yield, uh, didn't go out and take duration risk. Uh, I think they're going to, they're likely to see quite a bit of interest income uh, coming back in, and um, could be pretty material actually for their earnings. So I think there's they're in pretty good shape. I think. What do you make of um, the insurers pulling out of 
Florida or some some markets in Florida or Florida and, and or I think California. It's California as well. Hey, we're yeah. not immune to this. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I saw that recently too. We have to get I, our area Florida man back on the show, and we'll ask. Yeah, that's right. We got a man <laughs> on the ground. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I mean, it's because they limit the pricing, right? I mean, I think there's limits exactly. to how. Yeah, that's right. I they think can't. That's they can't reinsure. That's right. They have to. Or if they they can't include the cost of reinsurance. Right. In California. In my area, it's horrible. Like because we we've had some wildfires not too far, and we're just kind of I mean somewhat rural for Orange County. I mean, it's, you've seen it, Toby, but uh, Looks but like it's really it's really hard to get <laughs> insurance here. And I was worried because State Farm pulled out, and that's who we have it with. But they said that they'll keep existing clients, which is good. But that's gonna that that brings us to housing, though. Really, I mean that that really confound it's it's confounding to this economy, because I think we can understand why housing prices have held up because you just have very few existing homes being sold. You have new builds where they have, you know, they're, they're, there's demand needed there. And so people are kind of starting there. The builders have more flexibility on kind of the financing rates that they can offer because they have their own internal, you know, mortgage companies. So they can kind of, you know, rejigger things a little bit um, there, but, you know, at some point, people are going to have to, you know, there's going to be more supply out there and you're going to have arms and stuff like that that will have to be reset. And then you also have the student loan moratorium ending, which is a huge deal. So there's got to be some impacts to that. Uh, and so that that's kind of, I think I'm a little more skeptical on, on the economy than most people are as of recently. <laughs> I thought a few of those, um, you know, it's like, Bear porn, doom porn on the um, on the housing market, and there's a they, they they talk about the short-term rentals, the Airbnb phenomenon. That there are a lot of people who own many many Airbnbs, and they get pretty good yields out of them because they they rent them at a premium price. But this last sort of six months, they've seen a big drop off in the number of people using them, which puts a lot of stress on those guys because they're so heavily levered and they're sort of running cash flow. Running for the smallest amount of cash flow possible. I saw an interesting chart on um, it was spend profile of COVID suspended student loan cohort. So this is like, you know, people who like what were they spending their money on instead when they didn't have to make student loan payments? And uh, like most exposed in this little chart were Peloton, Old Navy, uh, and then let's say like HelloFresh, like the uh, food delivery. Mm. So it's this interesting little kind of correlations there. I don't know if it means anything, but I wonder if those are the buy now, pay later um, type type companies. Because yeah, at the credit side, they're they're not going to lose like like most originators, like like let's say an ally or or even like someone like a one main financial that's subprime lender. They're they're not going to lose sight of the fact that there's the moratorium in there. But some of those buy now, pay later's companies uh are we're more focused on kind of loan growth and originations so like i would firm yeah yeah i would i would look there i have for signs of weakness for sure yeah that's interesting i wonder to what extent that um i mean there's a few phenomena going on there's the one that you were mentioning about the new builds can sell and they can buy down the mortgage rate which means that people are you know yeah usually there's a big premium for a new house over a uh, an existing house in terms of price, but that premium is completely narrow just because there's so little supply around. And there's also been the moratorium on the um, evictions still hanging on since COVID, moratorium on student loans, all of those things roll off somewhere around here. And so at some point you start seeing a fair bit more supply into that market. I, I kind of think that's very negative for housing prices generally when that happens. And that has a big knock-on effect to the rest of the economy. Has there been any precedent of this before in his, human history where, for whatever reason, like rates went up dramatically and you ended up with uh, an ossified real estate market? Like basically, like you can't move. Like it's just, you know, you're you're you can't change your rate base effectively. I mean, it's probably a very U.S. specific phenomenon because we have a thirty-year fixed, which right. is very anomalous in the world. So probably not too much precedent for that, but. Uh, I'd be curious to know, like, what are the longer-term societal impacts of lack of mobility? Uh, does it like? 
create a more ossified job market then because you can't, you know, move to a, take a different job in a, in a new city as it readily. I don't know. Like some of the math changes a little bit. And you can work from home. I mean, work from home is another big phenomenon that's come yeah. out of that. So maybe you don't have to move. Maybe. Do you have less kids because you can't like get a new, you know, bigger house potentially? Can you not trade down if you're, you know, retiring and you're, you know, empty nesting? I don't know. Like, I'm just trying to think that's, through some of these second, third one. order. Yeah, that's an interesting one to think about. Yeah, because I mean, it really, it really is hard. And and even if you see like a decent deal for a house, this the financing costs are so prohibitive. Uh, it's yeah, it's it's a, it's a challenge. I mean, Orange County is a big place for mortgage originations. And, uh, and so I have a lot of friends in the business and I mean, the banks are laying people off like crazy. It's just, it's amazing how low, you know, the volumes have gotten and it's very understandable. Most, you know, you've got the originations for the new homes. And if you're not in that niche, then it's tough. Uh, one of the, uh, one of the, that Nick Gurley, I think his name is, he, he said that he, he tracks like the number of sales per real estate agent. And he said, it's like, the, he's got a chart showing it was the, the lowest Oof. sales per you know going back to like however far back they track that data 85 are there more agents than deals right now that's it's, i it's bet close. i bet it's close bet. <laughs> it's like it's like 2.3 i'm gonna get this the wrong way around if it's agents per deal or deals per agent i'm not sure which <laughs> well, either way that's doesn't work yeah, it's, very that's well, not right? enough i mean i don't think that's enough you were um, talking toby about the airbnb thing and it I, I don't know. I guess I was just in the mood. So Friday I was watching the big short again and, uh, and yeah, it's <laughs> like reviewing. Yeah. And it's like with the, uh, the, the dancers at the gentlemen's club, they're, uh, they're how they talk about how, you know, I have like 10 houses or whatever the number was, you know? And yeah. it's, I mean, the people that have Airbnb houses, it's not Same always thing. just one. There's a lot that have yeah. built little empires and same with, uh, you know, uh, apartment home rental homes, uh, like, you know, that have more full-time tenants. So there, there's a lot of leverage in the system there. Tim, do you Prices have any are going down for rents inside on uh, commercial real estate? I Given follow it pretty looking closely. Into all, the, yeah. all the, you know, regional banks, especially, I think have a lot of exposure to that. Yeah. I mean, particularly run. Yeah. I mean, I I've looked at Vornado. I've looked at, um, SLG, uh, and, and I think that some of the more interesting plays, so I do own some bonds in Vornado. Uh, we sold some puts on some of those stocks and it's actually worked out pretty well so far. They've, they've rallied uh, quite a bit after SLG sold, uh, I believe it was a 50% stake in one of their buildings for a really nice price. Uh, that, that market has rallied quite a bit. But I think the more interesting ones are more of the diversified REITs. Uh, so like a WP carry that has some, uh, commercial real estate, but then they also have a lot of industrial um, stuff like that, or or some of the medical office REITs, which are you know a little less exposed to the work from home phenomenon. I think there's value there, especially if you're not someone that thinks that rates are going to keep going up, you know, much more, or not necessarily stay up for a very long time. I mean, if you get if you get uh, a recession and rates go down, a lot of those REITs have massive potential. Uh, with both dividends and and appreciation, but yeah, I I some of the ones like Bernado, I think is too hard to like build a big position, uh, especially in the equity. And I feel the same about SLG. But you know, you work up the line a little bit, and there's opportunity. When you say it's too hard to build a big position, it's too illiquid, or what? what do you no, mean? no, 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 no. I don't mean that. Scary. I, just, too, I think too it's hard to. Yeah, Analyze. heart attack, anxiety, stress, you know, it's just I don't want it. I don't I don't want to bet big on offices. I don't feel passionately. We were looking at office space and I mean, you could name the price and I mean you get the most beautiful offices I've ever seen and I mean they were basically begging me to take them, you know, so I, it's not a space I want to bet big in, but you know, does it over has it gone too far, you know, at least what at one point did it? Maybe, yeah. My wife wanted to buy some um, some sage for for a sage blessing. I, I don't want to get into it, but basically, it's like a crystal shop. And so we went looking for this thing, and it's in this like primo office park, and there's nothing else there. It's like wow. completely empty. And that, but they've got a crystal store down the bottom, so I think business is good for those guys. Not the crystal store. <laughs> no, 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 that's I'm being completely sarcastic. Business is terrible in that place. Yikes! Yeah. <laughs> Let's just not even unpack that one. 
It, it seems like it's pretty specific, though, to the offices, though. I mean, like strip malls are doing OK. Um, I used to I used to be an investor in store capital um, and and they own a lot of like the, you know, Chick-fil-A type stuff or the Chipotle's uh, uh, kind of a lot of those chains. And that's a pretty good business that held up really well during during the lockdowns. And they got bought by, I believe it was Blue Owl, uh, which is one of those private equity companies. And I think they're still doing pretty well, but that's another one where you could buy the bonds at, you know, high, high single digits, eight, nine percent uh, yield to maturities that I think are, are interesting. I find this market kind of a little bit hard to, to, to analyze because um, to me, the data looks so bad. The, the, the leading economic indicators have all been terrible, but maybe they're due for a bounce because they've been so bad. Maybe the market is just front running that bounce. I have no idea, but the, the underlying looks, maybe the market front runs the leading indicators as well. Like the traditional path where you went, um, by the time that employment cracked, that was oh, close to the bottom for the market. Your... And it... Well, say it again. Your hope. Uh... Yeah, yeah. Housing, something, something, employment. No one cares about the O and the P. Housing, <laughs> OP, employment at the end. When employment cracks, that's the signal to get back into the market because the, the market takes off. But we've like we bounced well, well before any of that happened. But this, all of the traditional metrics, either they're just they're just broken because um, you know it was an unusual. We had the shortage, then we had the glut, and every single commodity chart looks exactly the same. It runs up some extraordinary, like it runs up ten times, and then it runs back to where it was. And you see, we saw it in lumber. We've seen it in energy. We've seen it in housing we've seen it in just about everything yeah that like that's one of the things that i find confounding about the housing market is that it's run up but it hasn't run back down but interest rates are well up pinned right up and so the only there are two parts that are either housing prices come down or interest rates come down and powell seems to be saying that he's not going to pull interest rates down although you know saying that and doing that are two different things I don't know how it resolves itself because it seems to me that the market's expensive so that the reward isn't there, but there's certainly a lot of risk there. But you, you, you say that, which I just think that's just reality, but that makes you bearish. I don't know. Disabuse me. Tell me where I'm wrong. <laughs> I, I think that there are, are times when it's easier to understand what's going on and times when it's harder to understand what's going on. And I think we're, I think we're living in a harder to understand what's going on phase. So as a long guy, as a as a long only guy these days, that's not a good setup for a long only guy. I'd much rather see the other way around where everybody's depressed and it's all bombed out, but there are like signs of life, signs of it taking off. Like I'd Green feel shoots. more confident taking a punt there than I would here where the risk reward just seems wrong to me. Well well, not to go like you know too far into it but but that's why i think the bonds are so attractive i mean think of i know toby you you got in the industry kind of a similar time when when i did and i mean in the last 20 years there really hasn't been an opportunity or an attractive opportunity to own bonds uh you know kind of 2000 treasury bonds were decent relative to the indices but of course nobody wanted them then yeah uh, and it was still like a 7%. six percent yeah yeah, yeah, but I mean, I mean, right now, and yes, the ten-year Treasury at like three point eight. I don't know if that's immensely attractive unless you see rates go right down. I don't think that's great. Short-term Treasuries, you know, are pretty attractive. But then, you know, you can you can go a variety of different durations on the corporate side if you're willing to take a little bit of credit risk. And I think in a portfolio, and we're you know investment advisors, and and that's a really attractive way to you know reduce risk of having too much equity because. There are more people, more older people than ever, you know, have a hundred percent equity allocations. And as as we're talking about, the risks are are pretty skewed in my my opinion. I don't think that's gonna end great. Tim, what if you could buy a bunch of bonds inside of another container at roughly 90 cents on the dollar, which might be a good description of Fairfax? Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. Well, I like that. And and there's some seal, I mean, there's some CLO type stuff that also kind of fits that description but but absolutely that's the insurance companies are are really interesting uh AIG still trades at a, a 
discount to book. They have stellar management now. Uh, the job that that they've done in improving their underwriting is just exceptional. And yeah, as they redeploy, the one overhang is they have their annuity business that they are selling off. And so whenever they're selling off kind of a subsidiary like that, you know, there's pressure on that price, which impacts, you know, the ultimate recoveries that they get once they sell it off. So that's a little bit of an overhang, but I agree with you. You know, I think that insurance companies are, are really, really interesting. JT, you want to do your, uh, I'm yes. being a little presumptuous, but you do have veggies for us today. <laughs> You've never failed me yet. Yeah, I was going to say, how many, what's the streak? What do we have to get to? I don't want to just assume. I shouldn't just assume. <laughs> All right, I'm changing my background so as to uh, so that this will explain for this particular. <laughs> That's the toddy grade. Yeah, so this I'm surprised I haven't done a segment on this before because we are talking about the ultimate in biological resilience when we talk about the tardigrade. And you know, I'm a such a huge fan of resilience, and I like biological uh, analogies. So I feel like this has been one that's so it's such a layup, uh, but. So these these little guys in the picture, as you can see, they're colloquially referred to as water bears or moss piglets. Uh, but and they they look like, you know, for those who can't see, uh, they look like this little like eight legged kind of gummy bear or maybe like a little tiny manatee with legs. And they've been on Earth for about 600 million years, which precedes the dinosaurs by like 400 million years. And it's this, I mean, we're talking such an incredibly long track record. They're older than sharks. They're older than trees. Uh, this is this is something that is really built to last. And they can survive space as well, can't they? They can survive. Toby, um, just, sorry, sorry, just, sorry, I don't want to get <laughs> stepping all over your work. Yeah. Sorry, mate. <laughs> so the, the phylum that they inhabit is within the animal kingdom is much closer to like lobsters or crabs or spiders than it is to bears. Uh, and they're, they're these tiny little things, like they're one millimeter in size, which is about like four one hundredths of an inch, uh, very, very small. And they're found all over the world, mountaintops and the Himalayas, the deepest sea trenches, tropical rainforests, even the even Antarctica. Uh, it's, it's amazing. And they feed on plant cells, algae, and sometimes other small invertebrates. And despite looking like, you know, they're kind of squishy. They're actually covered in this tough cuticle, it's called, that's similar, more similar to like the exoskeleton of a grasshopper or some other insect. And and just like other insects, they, they have to shed their cuticle in order to grow. So they like basically like slough off their skin and then, you know, grow into a bigger one. And, you know, I, I'm sure everyone at home was wondering about their mating habits. So let's, <laughs> let's get into that. Uh, finally. Yeah, finally. So these little water bears, they actually do some kind of courting before mating. Like, I don't think it's buying flowers because uh, I, I don't think this is all that romantic because it turns out researchers have found that uh, up to up to nine males aggregate around a female to mate. Uh, so I'll just like humans at the clubs, I've seen it happen. Oh, man. <laughs> so to uh, to get into what Toby was referring to as far as their survival stats, which are absolutely mind boggling. So these are these are conditions in which they've survived. Minus 460 degrees Fahrenheit, which is just above absolute zero. Are they still Plus, moving at that level? No. Plus 300 degrees Fahrenheit. Pressure six times greater than the Marianas Trench. The vacuum of outer space, as Toby stepped all over. Uh, going without food or water for more than 30 years, only to later rehydrate, forage, and reproduce. One report had found like a leg movement in a rehydrated 120-year-old specimen. They can withstand wow. a thousand times more radiation than other animals. And they, they handle these extreme conditions. They enter this, basically this state of suspended animation. They like curl up into this little ball. They call It's called a ton when, they, when they're in that state, T-U-N. And their metabolism lowers to one one hundredth of a percent of normal. And their water content drops to one percent of normal. So they basically like freeze dry themselves when conditions are difficult. And a study out of Tokyo in 2015 found that less than 1.2% of their genes are the result of horizontal gene transfer, meaning that they really evolved as like their own distinct creature. And they, that also found that that same study found that uh, this high expression of, of this novel tardigrades, unique specific protein 
that that has this suppressed like DNA suppressing uh, or DNA damage suppression effectively. Uh, and so these little moss piglets are basically Mother Nature's ultimate in resilience. Uh, so let's see what we can if we can torture some analogies back to and stick the landing. Um, this is the best part. Yeah. So number one, uh, you know, one is reminded of kind of Charlie Munger putting the Daily Journal portfolio into hibernation, lowering the met- metabolism of it and into nothing but T bills. Uh, and then when the environment becomes more conducive to investment, he's back at full strength, right? Like this, just the ultimate in patience, just like a tardigrade would. Uh, being very small actually allows them to go nearly anywhere on earth. Uh, and there's there's a similar advantage in managing money where you can kind of go anywhere and exploit small pockets of inefficiencies when you're very small. Uh, from a life perspective, I think, you know, maybe and Munger talks about this a lot, like one of the greatest hacks for happiness and contentment are to lower your expectations. And likewise, you know, from a personal finance point of view, I think your best defense against inflation is is likely maintaining a low cost structure. So a low metabolism, uh, you know, keep a low surface area for inflation to attack you. And so basically like living within your own your means is is a great way to be resilient, kind of similar to what a tardigrade does when it's facing a difficult environment. You know, and as, as uh, John D. Rockefeller said, uh, save when you can, not when you have to. And so Tardigrades don't share a lot of genetics with other species, and so they're their own kind of distinct creatures. And I, I would say that the best investors are also kind of their own unique creatures. They usually share some DNA with other successful investors, but they aren't copycats, and, and they usually find their own style that's authentic to them. Uh, and then the last thing, uh, tardigrades have that unique protein that we talked about that suppresses DNA damage. I think we can strive to control our environments as best we can to express like the mental proteins of resilience, which suppress like investment related brain damage. Um, so yeah, I, I often think that a lot of investments kind of aren't really worth the headache. Um, and so maybe steering clear of some of those where the return on brain damage just doesn't justify it. Uh, so there's uh, mother nature's ultimate resilient animal uh, and maybe a couple things that we might be able to adopt from them. I love that story about Munger after being that patient and deciding that he wanted to buy one of the banks, whatever it was, and having to pull his car over on the side of the road to pull to call the broker, like couldn't even wait to get back to the office. Clearly, there's some strong FOMO. You just got to fight the FOMO. That's wild, isn't it? The best. <laughs> and basically, practically bottom ticked it. Yeah, he was right. <laughs> How did he go so wrong with? Uh... Uh, what's it called? Uh, Alibaba. Alibaba. Yeah. I mean the the financials. I mean you can the financials are it's a steal on that level, but it's just you know you have the Taiwan risk, so everyone's scared of it, and just all the other stuff with China. But maybe maybe it will end up paying off, and he got the timing wrong. You never know. But get an option size position in it. At the end yeah. of the day, it's still a goddamn retailer. Is that what he said? Yeah, that was the. I don't know if that was the. I don't know if that was the right conclusion. I would agree on that. Yeah. There's a lot of, that might be one that has a lot of brain damage in it too. I mean, you've got, you've got a lot of things to figure out. You've got like tech issues. You know, I mean, you've got China issues. You've got, you know, what do you yeah. actually own issues? There's, there's a lot, a lot of stuff going on there. I mean, they have, don't they have like their own kind of AWS, AWS type business within Alibaba? I'm pretty sure that they do. So it's like, it, you know, if that was a US company, you know, with the same metrics, they have a very large net cash position. And I mean, and you look at what even, you know, Meta or, or any of these are, are trading for right now. I mean, they're not, Meta's cheaper than some of the other ones, but but yeah, I mean, not I think, I think not, Taiwan. Not, not, not much of a discount anymore. I think a lot of the discounts gone away. But yeah. I agree with you on Baba. Like a Baba, oh, that's a no-brainer aside from the China risk, I think. Yeah. I mean, you, you're definitely just getting... as much AI happening there as other places don't you think what not much <laughs> mostly marketing <laughs> no come on toby don't be so cynical that's all marketing spend <laughs> it's funny to, it's funny to see that like i you know i tracked the nft chart you know google searches for nft the nft index like it, it yeah. just got i had to give it up because it was getting too sad i couldn't tweet it out anymore i felt bad but chat gpt has followed the same path i yeah. uh i saw an nft of jack dorsey's first tweet Bought for two point nine million dollars, uh, now valued at less than four dollars. Yeah, I saw wow. a dollar, dollar fourteen, but that, is that because Oof. it's sitting? It's somebody's. That's the know. offer, is it? He's not, well, that's it. the bid. 
dollar fourteen. Not prepared to sell at that level. Can't even imagine. That's just, I, I never really got into that. I never really thought that it was very interesting. Um, so I'm kind of glad I didn't waste the the brain space on it. <laughs> and you didn't have ill-gotten gains to, to launder through it? No. Oh, so, yeah. It lim- limited your interest in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because you can be anonymous right on both sides of the transaction. Hey, I just sold an NFT for $70 million. What are the chances? Are you Had giving tax score. advice too? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd, I'd be happy to, you know, that's the, you, you're happy to pay the tax on your ill-gotten gains because you that, that launders it, turns it Cleans into the real up. thing. True. <laughs> now you can Good spend point. it in the real world. Good point. Crazy. So where do we go from here, gents? We've, we've bared every, we're, we're super bearish on the market. We like energy. Financials, not too bad. So what's, uh, where, where's the, where's the danger? Tech. Big tech, big tech over earning, like 31% of the index by market cap, 20% of the index by earnings. Got to come back. We'll have to see how earnings play out. I mean, I believe Netflix and Tesla both went down quite a bit uh, after reporting earnings that were good, but just the expectations were were pretty high. We've got all the big ones coming out the next week or so. Uh, So it'll really just be, you know, are are they meeting expectations and their guidance? NVIDIA will be huge. Because remember, they they reported that amazing quarter and then that amazing guide, which really uh, took this AI rally to to a new level. Um, so it I, was more a guide than a quarter, wasn't it? The, the year yeah. on year, it was down in terms of revs. It was like still six or seven for the year, and then guided to eleven for the twelve. And ASML um, said, uh, "What are they? They're Dutch, aren't they?" Uh, the 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 really uh, high-tech uh, manufacturer of equipment, they were saying that uh, inventories are, are really high right now and that's not looking to, to uh, resolve itself anytime too soon. So, This is an interesting uh, piece from Dan Rasmussen or Verdad. It might've been someone else writing it, but um, just talking about interest expense and taxes as a head headwind for net income going forward. And if you kind of look at the charts as far as like, how much did companies typically pay in interest expense uh, and how much, like what was the corporate tax rate? Um, I mean, both of those are these basically from like, you know, 1982 down to today are just this pretty much straight line down um, and going to roughly zero for, for both of them in a lot of ways. But uh, if you're going in the other direction, then there might not be as much net income available to the owners of the businesses, which is at the end of the day, what, what, drives what you should be paying for for a company so that could be a headwind going the other direction that that our entire lifetimes has been going kind of one way federal government's coming up on like a trillion dollars in interest expense too is that a lot that's getting chunky yeah, just print it doesn't matter well that's true Te- i mean they're technically they're different parts of the what the, the fed is completely independent so there's no guarantee that they're going to do that <laughs> just like just like the BAJ. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no doubt about that. Totally independent. Then again, you know, Powell has been hiking. Powell's uh, maybe Powell is um Volker. Volker, yeah. It's tough though, because I think some of the commodities are starting to rally again. So you almost just get in that it, it something, you know ultimately seems like it would have to break. It's tough to get that happy median. And like you said, with with that type of government debt, it's tough to imagine us not having to our, inflate our way out of it. So how long, like if we do get inflation really receding aggressively, uh, the numbers have been good lately, but but if that does happen, at, at what point does, does all that, um, you know, uh, debt interest catch up to us? I mean, I they're, they're, Good-ish, but if you kind of if you still look at cumulative inflation over the last couple of yeah. years, it's it's pretty goddamn painful. I mean, it's funny how they report that. That's three percent. It's it's down from eight percent. Yeah, We're but it's not down. down. It's still up three percent from yeah. where it, like it's, it's all that's right. It all adds up. It's, oh man, it's not just you know what uh, how quickly is the elevator moving, but like what floor are we on? That that matters too. <laughs> it's amazing. You go to the grocery store or you get lunch and it's just i mean it's amazing how expensive it is every time it's really shocking i mean i mean i would like i i usually get the same thing at different places and i i, I honestly think it's 50 percent, 60 percent 
over the last last like three or four years? I use Mint so I can track it. Uh, yeah, it's it's like it's 40, 50 rolling kind of uh, year on year at the moment. It's extraordinary. Really? Yeah, with no like real change in lifestyle. I guess we, we're in- tra- changing down to, uh, you know, from steak to hamburgers. <laughs> Fortunately, not quite in that position yet. I still like, still like the statement. Yes. <laughs> not 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 that bad, but yeah. I mean, weren't you listening during the whole, you know, control your cost of living and? <laughs> but it's funny, like the the difficult thing, like all of these all of these comps, including my own my own personal uh, income CPI, statement, all yeah. of the you, you've got twenty twenty one or twenty 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 one rolling out of that. So there was some, you know, that was un- suppressed artificially. And then maybe coming out the other side, that comp is wrong, but it's still like it's it's still up and to the right over the last five years. Not through like increasing like lifestyle, just to, that's just what things cost. Yeah, yeah, it's it's brutal, and I mean you see it. I mean, fortunately there there were the pay increases and stuff like that, um, but uh, I I mean it's 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 hard. I, you wonder how some of these people, you know, get by. And especially now that people have to pay on the student loans and stuff like that, it's going to be challenging. We'll see how that dynamic plays out. I think that's a bigger uh, change uh, than than most people are really factoring in. When I look at the things in my portfolio currently that have worked, a lot of it tends to be it's real estate related. It's the homeowners, home builders who've been selling to new homes, you know, Williams Sonoma stuff that sells into that kind of market, all that kind of stuff. Um, and less so the more defensive stuff like heavily consumer cyclical. We'll see. I think it's on a little bit of a knife edge at the moment, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't know from the market. It's a good point. I mean, a lot of people like the younger investors, they probably don't remember the fact that, you know, after the housing crisis, Home Depot, what did it get to? Like 20, I mean, it was $20 stock, maybe even less than that. Uh, and them and Lowe's, they improved their efficiency a lot, but they've also had, you know, a really nice tailwind uh, on the housing recovery. But all of those, like you said, those housing related stocks, builders, I mean, that's amazing. I remember when you were kind of, uh, when the fund started building a position in there, I kind of thought it might be a mistake. They had low PEs, but, you know, the earnings were so high, but, you know, you were right. And the earnings, you know, have, you know, just gone up. Uh, and the 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 near term looks really really bright still. Well, I certainly didn't predict the path that it was going to take. I just thought they were cheap. But you know, I was we were we were talking about this a lot of the time because it, the argument was you know they're they're cheap for a reason. Yeah, and baiting the earnings. My my thesis was we'd underbuilt for like ten years, and so there might be some more building coming through. And the reason that they were beaten up so severely at the time was lumber. Lumber had that silly run. Everybody remembers lumber spiking. We were a lumber podcast for a while, <laughs> and then uh, and that clearly that hurt hurt their earnings. And then lumber came back down. And then we had this silly thing where now everybody's buying new homes rather than existing homes because there are none for sale. Like none of that was predictable. That's that's basically my my whole strategy is just to buy cheap and, and yeah. hope. Almost as if you know, sometimes a quant value strategy is sort of I'm just not going to I'm agnostic to macro and just yeah. things are going to happen. You can't predict it. That's why I talk about macro so much on this podcast because <laughs> I can't can't express it anywhere. It's the it's the talking hedge, the psychic hedge. Yeah, so yeah I mean, even though we're all kind of you know somewhat bearish, I mean, and we're still we're still invested. You know, I mean, it's just you 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 find the the best opportunities or stuff that that you know the the negatives are over overly priced into you know the equity or whatever um, capital stru- whatever part of the capital structure that that exists. So I think we all you know see opportunities still, but but yeah, it's tough to. It's tough to justify. I mean, look, look where rates are and look where the price to earnings multiples are and look at the free cash flow yields on, on some of these companies that are huge components of the index. You know, I mean, it's going to take some pretty heroic growth rates to, to validate that over the long term. Right. I think you're getting, you know, twos and threes in some of those big tech companies and you can get the 10 years at like five, five and a half, something like that. 
Actually, I say that very confidently. I don't know. I haven't looked ten years at it, like three eight. But yeah, you're no, you're right. Like some of the uh, some of those uh, free cash flow yields, you know, are the low single digits for sure, um, and on huge companies too. And I mean, obviously, you know, look at Cisco. It's not that the internet, you know, didn't perform well. Uh, you know, in the 2000s, it did amazing, if not exceeding expectations. But Cisco still hasn't gotten to those highs. We'll see. Yeah, Cisco got Cisco got cheap. Some of that old tech got cheap a few years ago. Got cheap through the through the like bubble run. Microsoft and Apple. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't that smart. No, I, I was buying Cisco and uh, what's the database company? Oracle. Mm. Seagate. That worked out. Probably you had to at one point be buying some hard drive manufacturers. I mean, the the time. Yeah, probably the the time to buy the time to buy Microsoft was when. Whitney Tilson was pitching it at um, Value Investing Congress in about 2010, 2011. Mm. And that was when they'd had that, that one year. Over. Revenues had gone down. Steve Barmer was running it. I think maybe Google had brought out sheets and a few other things like that. So it looked like they were going to be yeah. left behind because everybody was going to be downloading their office suite. I mean, you know, the Google For office free, suite. Yeah. Ah, uh, that would have been a good time to buy it. Like you could have just, that would have been a good time to buy Microsoft and get lucky and just hold on. We bought it, but we just didn't hold on as long as yeah. we should have, you know, you that's 20% that's, bump. Yeah. yeah real that's the tricky, that can be the tricky part. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot of those. I mean, you, you made all the easy money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I, that's what I feel about meta a little bit. Like I think meta probably does just continue to work from here, but the, you know, whatever, whatever the bump, I made out of it. I don't know. I haven't calculated it, but you know, it's like a it's like a percent, and then ten years from now it will be multiples. You know could, how I I, ref, I reframe that a little bit for myself from when I you know I'm trying to fight that counterfactual is I I look at it and I say, okay, I deserved to make the return that I did because that's what I'm comfortable with, and as far as you know, kind of what I view as the risk and reward, and if when it tips to the other direction and I sell and it keeps going up, like I just, I didn't deserve those, those other gains. Like I wasn't <laughs> smart enough to figure them out and that's okay. Like I just have to know which part I'm comfortable in and be okay. And like run my own race and not get too, too upset about it. I agree. Although I think it's funny that even Buffett, you know, Buffett said quite a few times that buying Berkshire was a mistake because Berkshire was a terrible business. And then they basically transformed it by buying C's and, national yeah, indemnity yeah. and so on. Also threw off a fair amount of cash over that entire, you know. But he did say, I think last year or the year in last year's note or this year's note or something like that, he said it was still like a 40% um cagger on the on the investment if he just bought it and sold it back to Oh to see the to Stanton. Stanton yeah. yeah. If he just sold back into the the buyback he'd have made 40% annualized. So that'd have been pretty good. Good job there. Yeah he's all right at this. You can live on that. Yeah. <laughs> if you can find them every year. Yeah, that's true. Where do we go from here? What what are we going to get wrong? When up, we come back, what have we got to wrong? The right. When we get Tim back, next time you're on Tim, what do we get wrong? Uh no, I mean I'm kind of in the same camp as as you guys. Uh I'll I'll mention one more. We were talking talking about the banks, and I think last time I was here I talked about it a little bit, but like I allies interesting, um, because you know they're generating uh, a mid-teens return on tangible ca- common equity, even in kind of a trough period. This is kind of trough earnings for them. Credit's still pretty good. It's but they have to you know provision for future losses and everything. Uh, but then you have the net interest margin, which was around four percent. That's contracting to about three point four percent, just as the deposits repriced. But they're originating. So, so many people have pulled out of that space, like Capital One. A lot of these banks have pulled out. So they're getting prime and super prime paper on the retail side, and they're getting huge rates. Their their average origination rates now like around 10 over 10 on those. And so obviously those are secured, you know, quality FICO scores and everything like that. And then on their commercial side, uh, dealers are are having more inventory because of the supply chain issues uh, being worked out. And so a hundred percent cars. Yes, sir. Yeah. So a hundred percent of their exposure there is adjustable rate. 
So, you know, if you look at where earnings will be a year, two years from now, I think it's, you know, pretty robust. And they actually did grow deposits by a small margin uh, over the last quarter. So I think kind of on the same premise as the insurance, I think if you can look, you know, 18, 24 months out, uh, and if we don't have like that pure panic, like the, the banking crisis was, uh, ill-founded panic, in my opinion, I, I think, you know, you're going to see a pretty robust uh, recovery on some of those financial names. Yeah, I give you credit, Tim. You did say that at the time too, that the panic was all founded when we had Thanks. you on around about that time. Who would Gents, have thought we'd move on so quickly from it though, too? Yeah, I, I certainly that, that did was not. kind of surprising. I would I did not. I was in the other camp. AI, man. That's yeah. just <laughs> say it a few more times to the algo. AI, 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 AI. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Thanks, AI fellas. Podcast. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. Thanks, Thanks for coming on, Tim. Uh, folks want to get in contact with you, Tim, quickly. We should, how do they do, go about doing that? Yeah, uh, ttvalueinvesting.com is the website and all the contact info's there. And you're on the Twitter at? At Tim Travis Value one I think. Good stuff. All right, thanks, folks. We'll <laughs> thanks, 